Hello, Happy New Year and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage, where I take a look back at some of the programme highlights of 2014. I'll be walking and talking in a variety of settings, both urban and rural, but I start off with a bit of drama and tumult, which was Hong Kong in the 1960s. The 1960s in Hong Kong were a time of cholera, typhoons, a bank run and riots, troubling times and a challenge for the British colonial government, which from 1964 until 1971 was under the governorship of Sir David Trench. A witness to this tumultuous decade was programme regular Dr Dan Waters. That's right, Sir David Trench. He was a big man physically, as many... Governors in Hong Kong were, I mean, Maclehus was big, but uh, David Trench was a big man. I met him on a few occasions, and also he, some people said he was a bit remote. He was an administrative officer, and they didn't use the term in Hong Kong, but in India, British India, they used to call them the heaven-born, the administrative officer. The year that uh, he came... It's known as the year of typhoons. And then, of course, 65, there was the run on banks. Then in uh, 66, what is 66? Well, it's the Star Ferry riots. They all said that the spark that started it all off was, in fact, the uh, increase of 10 cents for the uh, Star Ferry. There was this man sitting there, and he got quite a following, and Elsie Elliott as she was then, later Elsie too, then uh, she she backed him. People, there was marches and that sort of thing. And then in 1966, we had the British troops marching down Nathan Road with fixed bayonets. That more or less quietened things down. It only lasted five days, the Star Ferry riots. But of course, the much worse riots were the following year, which 1967. Sir David Trench would have been at Government House. Um, how would he approach the whole issue of the riots? Well, he wanted to make out that it wasn't a, a big thing and he went off on leave, to be perfectly truthful. He went back to the UK on leave. Before I leave with my family on my trip to England, I thought you might like me to speak to you directly once again about recent events and about the present position here in Hong Kong. Well, first of all, as you all know, until last night, Things for the last fortnight or so have been pretty quiet again in the city generally. There were occasional incidents in that period, but generally speaking, the whole situation had greatly stabilised. In fact, I could really have followed my original intention, which I announced some months ago before all this happened, and started my trip last Friday week. However, I thought you would want me to stay on for a little longer at that time, and so I asked the Commonwealth Secretary to let me put off my departure for a week or so. Sir David Trench talking there with a voice for the wireless that has long since disappeared. And of course, my dear friend Dr Dan Waters, who turned 94 last month, as usual, full of historical information. 
Shamshipo is one of my favourite districts of Hong Kong. It's vibrant, working class, and it hasn't been gentrified yet. Olivia Tang is a guide for the tour organisation Walk in Hong Kong. She grew up there with her grandmother. So this is Evelyn Street. Every time I come here,、uh, I get very excited because there's always something interesting and new to see here.、Uh, I grew up actually just right across the street.、Uh, we came out of Exit A, and I grew up in Exit B. And my grandma actually used to live on right this building at the street corner, and she used to own a、uh, little life manufacturing, what we call the cottage factory, that puts the buttons and the buttonhole to clothes and shirts. Uh, so this is actually an important place for her. Why? Because、uh, as we all know,、uh, Abu Street is famous for electronic goods, electrical appliances, and second-hand tools and equipment. So whenever there's something that broke in her factory, she would send the guy to come down here to buy the supply.、Uh, and so I would sometimes follow along and to tag along my dad or maybe the、uh, the fixer guy in the factory to yeah, <laughs>、um, to come here and roam around. Uh, so Abu Street, actually, the name is interesting in itself. Abu,、uh, translated to English, means duck cage. As we look around, there's no no, no ducks around inside. How come there is the name duck cage、uh, street?、Uh, it's because in the 1900s, this actually this whole area used to be farmland. It's by the waterfront.、Uh, it's farmland. There are duck cages and also some villages. Um, and how come we would know this actually used to be、uh, a bunch of duck cages? It's because in the 1900s, when the colonial government、um, started surveying this area, they produced very detailed map, so we could actually pinpoint where the duck cages are. In 1910, there's actually a health organization report that、um, talk about this area and said the duck cages、um, is low lying. This area is low lying, so it's not good for building a water drainage system.、Uh, hence, the recommendation is to、uh, reclaim the area and also level it off for later、uh, residential building. Up the back of Happy Valley is a hidden cemetery for the Jewish community of Hong Kong, established in 1855. And Howard Elias, a board member of the Jewish Historical Society of Hong Kong, gave me a very interesting tour, telling me about Jewish burials, but also about some of the Jewish men and women buried there. Here we have the grave of Reverend Max Wolf, revered father, who was born in a place called Kadankurland. And he died in Hong Kong in 1868. Where's Kadankurland? Good question. <laughs> I actually didn't know because I don't think it exists anymore. But we, we I got an email from his great grandson last year, who told me that Kadankurland was part of or is part of、uh, Latvia, Western Latvia, near the border of Poland. And he told me the story was that、um, Max and his daughter Augusta. Came to New York in about 1850. He left his wife behind because she didn't want to travel. So he and his daughter came, and and I heard from I got another email from somebody else in Boston who said that Max Wolf was the minister of a synagogue in Boston. He published a book in 1869 called Explication of the Engraving Called the Origin of Rites and Worship of the Hebrews. Wow. Sounds really boring, <laughs> but in the late 1860s or early 1870s, he received a commission from the Sassoon family, from David Sassoon, to come to Hong Kong to to run the Jewish community here. So he and his daughter Augusta, they made their way to San Francisco. This I heard from the great grandson, made their way to San Francisco.、Uh, she ended up meeting a Jewish fellow there. When when Max. Felt that his daughter was in good hands. He left her there in San Francisco, where her descendants still live today, and he came to Hong Kong by himself around 
uh, 18, in the 1860s. And you can see he died in 1868, so he didn't live here for very long. And um, we don't know if he died of uh, natural causes or, or of illness. So do you have reverends as well as rabbis? No, we don't. Typically, if, if we use the word reverend, it means he's not a rabbi. He's just a learned man. So, no, we don't use this word. And that's why it's, it's a very interesting uh, uh, term to see on a Jewish gravestone. So did the wife stay in uh, Karankulan? Apparently, yes, she did. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. Howard Elias of the Jewish Historical Society of Hong Kong. Katie Law, co-convener of the Central and Western Concern Group, has worked hard on a number of heritage projects over the years, including Wingley Street and Graham Street Market, trying to preserve Hong Kong's cultural history. I caught up with her in August to hear about the Hungry Ghosts Festival that takes place on the cusp of Central and Shengwan. We are sitting in George's Lane, a very narrow street um, near Soho. Yeah, this is... Um, a very small street and not many people will pass by here but um, you know it when you come it's connected uh, to a, a terrace called Kuang uh, Hon Terrace and Kuang uh, Hon Terrace is now a garden and uh, George's Lane is amazing yes it's just tucked up the side here and uh, yet it has uh, a tremendous cultural history yeah, every year um, on the 23rd day of um, the seventh month of the lunar calendar, um, there, there will be um, a Hungry Ghost um, Festival being set up in George's Lane. It's a very small setup, and um, I just know about it recently that it is um, being organized by the, the members of the Cooley Houses in the previous um who previously, you know, uh, took up um, a lot of these areas, the coolie houses. So what, how do you mean coolie houses? Houses with coolies in them? Yeah, they, are, they were actually boarding houses um, where many coolies uh, lived and they um, work every day from there. So those coolies are mainly um, neighbours who used to work um, like a, a rickshaw drivers, um, people carrying the sedan chairs earlier and people who, who work as coolies, you know, carry heavy stuff. Um, there were many coolie houses in this area um, in the, you know, after the war, like 50s and uh, 60s. Robert Howe still lives in the village where he grew up in the New Territories, where he takes great pride in showing school children farming and cooking implements from decades past at a museum in the village that he set up with fellow residents. He's an eco-guide for the Hong Kong Conservancy Association and can track his family back 28 generations. The Howe family is one of the five big family uh, in Hong Kong. Our ancestors came to Hong Kong about seven to eight hundred years ago in the Sang Dynasty. And, and now I, I am one of the uh, members of Yin Gong Village, which is the youngest village set up in Hong Kong, about only three hundred years. So what generation are you now? I'm 28th generation. <laughs> Which is extraordinary. I mean, have you, is this all on ancestor tablets? How do you know that? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, I can show you my family, family book uh, to show the generations from the very beginning. In terms of the Howe family going right back, do you know why the original Howes would have come to Hong Kong? About 2,000 years ago, uh, we were in Hobart. Uh, 
Hebei province. Hebei province. Yeah. yeah, Hebei province. And during the uh, the, the years, the the people uh, moved downward until the Song Dynasty. Maybe our first generation here in 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 Hong Kong uh, was a uh, quite top official of in the in the uh, in the government. So. They they came down because of the weakness of the emperor. In fact, some of the families came down to about thirty three generation. I'm twenty eight generation because it shows our previous generations were poor. Because the people poor, they get married late, maybe thirty, or sometimes even not get married until before. A few days uh, of the of the death, they adopt the cousins and nephews. Earlier this year, writer Stuart Wolfendale and I sat on a sunny day outside St John's Cathedral to talk about his book on the history of the cathedral, built in the earliest days of Hong Kong as a British colony. St John's was not rich. One of the benefactors was businessman and philanthropist Sir Paul Catchick Chater. But there was another, more controversial way of raising cash among the Victorians, and that was by renting pews. Oh yes, pew rents. That that that, that was from the days when we ba- basically pews were rented out uh, to to people for a month. There we go. Uh, it's working. And uh, they were rented out uh, at, at various different prices. But the point was, uh, your status was very important to to the Victorians particularly and uh, your status was measured by how close you your pew was to the to the chancel and to the to the pulpit the further up the church the higher rank you were and, and um, that's that, that, that's how you were al- they were allocated according to status I'm sure John Betjeman wrote a poem about that uh, he would have definitely <laughs> written a poem he would have known about pew rents absolutely or sittings as they were called it was quite outrageous really uh, it was it was it was a rank structure literally all the way down the nave you know uh, and the the big jo- the big hongs and the important and wealthy individuals in the colony got to sit up front and pay the price for it uh, and it was finally abolished in 1930 writer Stuart Wolfendale. My thanks to all the speakers who gave their time and joined me on Hong Kong Heritage throughout the past year. And thank you so much for listening. Do join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.